Our speaker tonight is Henri Cole. Born in Japan and raised in Virginia, Mr. Cole earned a BA at the College of William and Mary, an MA at the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, and an MFA at Columbia University. He's the author of numerous poetry collections, including Touch, Pierce the Skin, Blackbird and Wolf, and Middle Earth. Mr. Cole has received the American Academy of Arts and Letters Rome Prize, the Berlin Prize, the Amy Lowell Poetry Traveling Scholarship, and fellowships from the National Endowment of the Arts and Ingram Merrill Foundation and the Guggenheim Foundation and the Carmago Foundation. <laughs> Mr. Cole currently is a fellow at Radcliffe. He teaches at Claremont McKenna College and he lives in Boston. To know more about uh, Mr. Cole, you can turn to the Paris Review, uh, winter 2014, where he's interviewed for the Art of Poetry. Mr. Cole has said for him, Poetry is both rebellious and the servant of order, and we will see this relationship as he reads to us selections from his most recent collection, Nothing to Declare. He transforms the pain of experience into the pleasure of expressive language with precise reliability of detail, a supple wealth of sound, and a speculative truthfulness. In his poem, The Lonely Domain, he writes, but I spoke. Anyway, believing in words as the basis of people living together. Now, we will hear for ourselves why his work has garnered such praise and why his, cho his choice to speak adds significantly, significantly to poetry. Please join me in welcoming, welcoming Henri Cole to the Boston Athenaeum. Thank you. Thank you. Here is Mr. Cole. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. I'm very happy to be here in this handsome room. Um, I'm teaching, teaching right now in Southern California. There are, there are no rooms like this in Southern California. I thought what I'd do is read uh, from my first uh, first half of the reading, read from my last few books, half dozen poems, and then I'll read from the new book, which uh, the library has kindly made for sale um, during the reception. Uh, can everybody hear me okay in the back, especially? Okay, great. I'd like to begin with a birth poem. Um, several of my books begin with birth poems. Um, so this poem is a little bit from a child's perspective. It's called Sycamores. I came from a place with a hole in it. My body wants its body behind a beard of hair. And after I emerged all dripping wet, heavy drops came out of my eyes, touching its face. I kissed its mouth, I bit it with my gums, I lay on it 
like a snail on a cup. My body, whatever its nature was, revealed to me by its body. I did not know I was powerless before a strange force. I did not know life cheats us. All I knew, nestling my head in its soft throat pouch, was a hard, gem-like feeling burning through me, like limbs of burning sycamores touching across some new barrier of touchability. And this is a poem from my father. Uh, it's called Oil and Steel. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, my father grew up in the sand hills of North Carolina. Um, he finished his high school education. Oil and Steel. My father lived in a dirty dish mausoleum, watching a portable black and white television reading the Encyclopedia Britannica, which he preferred to modern fiction. One by one, his schnauzers died of liver disease, except the one that guarded his corpse, found holding a tumbler of bushmills. Dead is dead, he would say, an anti-preacher. I took a plaid shirt from the bedroom closet, and some motor oil, my inheritance. Once I saw him weep in a courtroom, neglected, needing nursing. This man, who never showed me much affection, but gave me a knack for solitude, which has been mostly useful. These first six or seven poems I'm reading are uh, kind of 14 liners, they're free verse sonnets. Um, so they, they're not metered or rhymed, but they're meant to have in them the sort of fractures and leaps and resolutions in them that the sonnet form encourages. Uh, this is a Boston poem. I've lived for 21 years in, in Boston with some interludes here and there, far away interludes. Um, and this is called American Kestrel, where my apartment is in the South End. Occasionally, my desk is in this bay window, and occasionally a, a hawk from the nearby park lands on the fire escape. And we, we uh, contemplate each other. So this is American Kestrel. I see you sitting erect on my fire escape, plucking at your dinner a flayed mouse, like the red strings of a harp, choking a bit on the Venus blue flesh and hemorrhaging tail. With your perfect black and white thieves mask, you look like a stuffed bird in a glass case, somewhere between the animal and human life. The love word is far away. Can you see me? I am a man. No one has what I have. My long, clean hands, my bored lips. This is my home. Woof, woof, the dog utters, afraid of emptiness. As I am, so my soul attaches itself to things, 
trying to create something neither confessional nor abstract, like the moon breaking through the pines. I think of this ending as sort of a credo in my work of trying to create something neither confessional nor abstract, like the moon breaking through the pines. Oh, one of the pleasures of summer, one of my, I don't know, best pleasures, <laughs> is eating a peach. Um, I don't know, peaches are sort of, good peaches are getting harder and harder to get, but this is a really good peach. <laughs> um, it's called eating the peach. Eating the peach I feel like a murderer. Time and darkness mean nothing to me. Moving forward and back with my white enameled teeth and bloated tongue sating themselves on moist pulpy flesh. When I suck at the pit that resembles a small mammal skull, it erases all memory of trouble and strife, of loneliness and the blindings of erotic love, and of the blueprint of a world in which man, hater of reason, cannot make things right again. Eating the peach, I feel the long wandering, my human hand, once fin and paw, reaching through and across the allegory of Eden, mud, boredom, and disease, to bees, solitude, and a thousand hairs of grass blowing by chill waters. I wrote this next poem, I haven't read it in a long time, um, trying to write a poem of pure contentment. I felt I had never done that, and I wanted to try. Um, I was born in Japan, which was mentioned, and I wrote this poem in Japan. I felt pure contentment living there in the foothills north of Kyoto. Um, actually, where I'm living now is a lot like that. Um, Original Face is the title, and I got it from a Japanese word. I can't remember the Japanese word now. My friend Naoi probably can tell me that. I think she's here somewhere. But it's the word for a woman's face when she works, wakes up in the morning before she's uh, made up. Uh, it's called the original face. So, Some mornings I wake up kicking like a frog. My thighs ache from going nowhere all night. I get up tailless, smooth-skinned, eyes protruding, and scrub around for my original face. It is good I'm dreaming, I say to myself. The real characters and events would hurt me. The real lying, shame, and envy would turn even a pleasure-loving man into a stone. Instead, my plain human flesh wakes up and gazes out at real sparrows skimming the luminous, wet rooftops at the base of a, of a mountain. No splayed breasts, no glaring teeth appear before me, only the ivory hands of morning touching 
the real face in the real mirror on my bureau. This poem is called Dead Wren. Um, I think I got that title from a painting, but it's kind of re, re, remade here. I like titles that are spondies, you know, that are double stresses. I have lots of them. Um, Dead Wren. When I open your little gothic wings on my whitewashed chest of drawers, I almost fear you as if today were my funeral. Moment by moment, enzymes digest your life into a kind of coffin liqueur. Two flies like coroners investigate your feathers. My clock is your obelisk. Though only this morning you lunged into my room extravagant as Nero, then, not seeing yourself in the sunlit glass, struck it. Night, what beams does it clear away? The rain falls, the sky is pained, all that breathes suffers, yet the waters of affliction are purifying. The wounded soldier heals. There is new wine and oil. Here, take my handkerchief as your hearse. And I'll read just one more older poem. Oh, this is a poem that looks back to the 1980s when I, I was living in New York City. It's so quiet. <laughs> I remember when I was in the audience this, this summer listening to Helen Vendor getting to meditate upon all these faces behind me. It was a great pleasure. Bowl of lilacs. My lilacs died today floating in a bowl. All week I watched them pushing away, their pruned heads swollen together into something like anger making a brief comeback toward the end, as if secretly embalmed. Just before your death, I cut your hair, so when you were laid out, you looked like yourself. Then some men screwed planks over your coffin. I held a towel to my face. Once, in a light-bathed kitchen, naked and blissfully myself, I scrambled us eggs and felt the act of looking and perceiving was no longer something understood from the exterior. It was pure being, saturated and raw as a bowl of lilacs. So in this new collection, I have broken away from uh, the sonnet, kind of free sonnet form um, and written... Um, I don't know, hopefully slightly airier poems, though not too much more cheerful. Um, <laughs> the, let's see, I think I'll read a, another mother and father poem. Um, I've written a lot about my parents. I feel like maybe the, the time has come to cease writing about them. But this 
this book sort of brings it to a culmination. Um, this poem is called Dandelions. I grew up in a Catholic household, and it's sort of it's a bad, it's sort of a nightmare poem, a bad dream poem. Everything that happens in the poem is a bad dream poem. I mean, there's, you know, there's this element of day residue, as they, as Freud says about dreams, that there's a little bit that's real and. The rest is all kind of nightmarish. Dandelions. In the dream, a priest said it was time to be entirely adult. Mother was bedridden because of diabetes, and her hands had been amputated. Still, it was mother, and not some creature with a lolling tongue. Thank you for the presence, she said kindly. Come back soon. But the elegant priest lingered, demanding, tell me what you believe, as if it were her time, though it plainly wasn't. When he, re when he repeated, tell me what you believe, woman, I grew afraid and went inside my head, where I can nearly always find some dandelions hugging the turf with those silvery gray stems and lemony blossoms that transform any landscape. And then I heard mother lifting her stumps where the hands had been, telling him, I believe in these living hands. And this poem is a father poem. A few of you have heard this poem before. It's called Sphere. Sir, I don't have no black tea, the waitress replied. So I ordered black label instead. It was summer, and the fragrant white flowers of the black locust had awakened like fairies or obscure matter. A black bear clothed in thorns made a mess of the bird feeder, where hungry black caps were a vision, and the black flies were biting energetically. Billy died of the black death, I shouldn't call it that, and hovered like a winged horseman. There's nothing so wrong as when young folks die. I spat, smashed my bike, blacked out, and got two black eyes. At the Mayo Clinic, Daddy had his arteries cleared, praising the surgeon's fine black hands. After he died, we called everyone in his black book and found a black space that couldn't be lifted by impotent wings. Like me, he was the black sheep. There were struggles. Once driving near Black Mountain, he blurted, there ain't nothing so good as stolen corn or watermelon. His face was like a smiling black spider's, questioning the earth from which he came Son, you got mixed blood, and that drew him back. He cleared a way forward into the murky light. Beside the roadside black top, a deer with black diamonds in its eyes lay in a bed of black pansies. Around us, black ash and black walnuts made a velvety curtain. Dead ten years, he visits me often, like a head behind bars, 
with that black temper and black bile still coming out of his mouth, but tenderness, too, like black gold. Did I love him back, I wonder? If I loved him with all my heart and all my liver, why did I spit him in the river? Oh, this is a barn poem called Mother and Child. I don't think I've ever read this. Mother and Child. Her teats were fat as ticks, and her udder was heavy. A little pink poked out from her vulva, and she grunted softly while making small defecations all around the stall pacing, pawing, standing up and lying down. She was waiting for the cover of darkness. But when she started to sweat, the baby, perfectly well-made, came quickly, groggy and gleaming from her insides. Rubbing him with towels, we bowed our heads at the straw where he lay, yeasty and squinting at us. Already alone in the bright landscape and calling to mind remnants of defeated armies, fleeing slaves and refugees herded across all the borders of the earth. Uh, this little poem is called War Rug. Uh, during the past 30 years, in Afghanistan, uh, hand grenades and tanks and fighter jets and Missiles and helicopters have replaced uh, sort of traditional floral patterns in rug making and other textiles. So uh, that's sort of the world of this poem, which depicts uh, a little bit the realities of war. War rug. The pony and the deer are trapped by tanks, and the lady with the guitar is sad beyond words. Hurtling across the sky, a missile has mistaken a vehicle for her helicopter, exploding in a ball of white flame. Upside-down birds, red specks of knotted wool, glow above the sideways trees. Hidden among plants, a barefooted boy waits like the divine coroner, aiming his rifle at something enjoying the attentions of a gray doggy, or maybe there's a bullet already in his head. I think this is the prettiest room I've ever read in. I really think it is. It's really an extraordinary space. Um, this is another Boston poem. It's set there in my apartment. When I was a boy, my mother would make us sugar sandwiches, which was just Wonder Bread with butter and domino sugar. And um, it was kind of love food. I was born out of the Depression. Um, so that's what appears here in the first. It's called Extraordinary Geraniums. Eating a sugar sandwich, I sit at the kitchen table admiring the geraniums outside the window, their big heads as American as Martha Washington. I grew them from seeds, a 
and now the leaves are frilly like genitalia. After so many sunrises together, they almost have faces with puffed out mouths and throats. And when night falls, they mix glamour with the gutter like Paris or Rome. But in the morning, they're themselves again while birds hover in the distance, hunting on the wind, using their tails to equilibrate, pushing their shoulders forward and back to rise and fall. I love this backstroking or upstroking, which the sparrows use too when they fly right in front of my car. Lately, my vision has been graying a little at the edges, but these geraniums with their fragrant leaves and this gritty sugar sandwich make me feel my whole body and my whole mind superimposed at once. It's the opposite of self-obliteration. If I think, where am I? I immediately feel, I am here. I think I'll read just two more. Um, this is a kind of minimum, super minimum poem. It's called Anima, and I meant it to be sort of spoken like an oracular voice, a voice on high um, from far away. Anima, after he came back, I accidentally made the sound that meant I belong to him and felt it to be true. It was a warm, a warm type of feeling that would have been unwise to have outside at night. But suddenly it seemed I would not be outside ever again, where there had been no time just alive or not in the shadows. Now there was this new thing, and by day the sun accentuated the feeling. Then, in the moment before it happened, I thought, but I belong to him. Nevertheless, it happened. I died. Though even dead, some of me stayed in bed with him and couldn't believe it. Just let me be here forever, it thought. I'm not done. This is a poem actually dedicated to Helen Vendler. It's the last poem in my collection. Uh, the poem is called The Constant Leaf. Um, it's set there in my apartment, also in the South End. And it just is, oh, it's kind of a rainy day. The news is on. Um, uh, you know, kind of pacing around in the kitchen. Nothing really happens. It's just all inside my head. The constant leaf. I wish my father was here. His features were calm and striking, even when his breaths were horrible. Remote, pale yellow sunlight behind a screen of clouds, landscape in darkness. Rain comes straight down in dense strands that cover the street with rain froth. The trees are so full, it makes everything seem constant, but fragile, as if any moment could be the last. 
All the news is the same news. Somebody bombing somebody, somebody cheating somebody, somebody hurting the one he loves. So we talk about forgiveness in a low-key, unabashed way. Forgive me for the errors of my youth. Forgive me for the fatal, incurable virus that caused your blindness. Forgive me for the stinger that blew up your tenement. The wind tears a power line from a pole, sparking a transformer, and the brick pavement is saturated like mud. When I close my eyes and hold my breath, I can stay in one place, detoxifying experience like a kidney. It's strange how the past holds on to us, how the rapture of the lonely shore is agreeable only if we can at any moment escape it, and how the night feels so indispensable, soothing. On the television at the white-domed capital, a white man in a white room lifts his glass of white wine. I'm always searching the faces of strangers for a friend. Thank you.